calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. The way they do all of this is incredibly delicate and nuanced. This movie rules. This movie's really good. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Cinefix Top 100, our foolish dream that we're chasing from a small town to the big city, only to end up dead on a bus. I'm Clint Gage, and joining me, as always, IGN's director of video programming and the man who taught me how to steal to survive, Michael Calabro. Hey, Clint. How's it going, dude? It's going great, man. It's going great. Noticeably not joining us this week is our favorite Terminator 2 fanatic, Alex Stedman. Alex is out sick this week, so it's just left, uh, it's down to us. Let's not forget that Dan fucked off on vacation. Dan is on vacation. Yeah, yes. so, I mean, it's just the lunatics running the asylum. <laughs> yeah, which is actually, so because uh, we, we do not have some of our normal crew here, we are doing something a little different that we're calling the Cinefix Not Top 100. Because <laughs> we don't have Dan... Or his algorithm here to tell us what to do. Well, that's actually a lie. We do have the algorithm. We do have the algorithm never, yeah. never leaves, never wavers, never changes. But the good news is the, we're going to take this opportunity to pick some movies that actually didn't make the cut. Well, they didn't make the top 100. They didn't make the top 100. They made our top, top 100. Yeah. So this week we're going to talk about um, uh, one movie that in particular... Uh, didn't make it onto the top 100 at all, but it was on your It is list. on my list, yes. We're talking about Midnight Cowboy. That's right. Why is that Joe Buck? Where is that Joe Buck? You're due here at 4 o'clock. You know what you can do with them dishes. And if you ain't man enough to do it for yourself, I'd be happy to oblige. I really would. Let's be real, Clint. Who who better to talk about Midnight Cowboy than like a handsome Texan and a greasy Dago from the Northeast? Sure. Like we got this. We got this locked down. <laughs> this is going to be a fascinating oh. episode. This is straight from the uh, the horse's mouth, as it were. So yeah, I mean, again, these are um, and what what I like about doing this this too, and and we I think we need to make a habit out of mixing some of these in too, because they're like, listen, I. I 
we all made a list of 100 movies. There's not really – there's there's some bangers on these uh, – low on our list. Yeah, Midnight just, Cowboy being one Otherwise, of them. we wouldn't be able to talk about them at all. If we Even if we do all 100 episodes of this show, like – there would be some great movies that that we wouldn't even get to talk about. Midnight Cowboy being, being one of them. Being one of them. Yeah. Any other? Did I miss anything else? Any other business we have to do up top? No, I think that's pretty much it. I think you know? it's a, yeah, like, Dan's uh, gone. Uh, Alex, is Alex sick. Is sick. The yeah. algorithm we're rebelling against. It'll probably check us uh, back into our places this time next week, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Oh, and the envelope is here, too. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. Is like, that's why we know that the algorithm can never truly leave us, yeah. because it does have a ranking. All we can do is add a scribbled post-it note all to I the know front is, of it. All I know is that it is not in the 100. It's somewhere floating in the ether above <laughs> exactly. the 100, where we'll find out at the end of the episode. We will find out uh, here in about an hour. Um, but let's get uh, to talking about uh, Midnight Cowboy, 1969, directed by John Schlesinger. Dustin Hoffman and John Voight. Uh, it's about a small-town Texas guy with dreams of becoming a wildly successful New York gigolo. Yeah. It's it's incredible. And, you know, he – I don't know why he left Texas, to be honest. It looks like he was, a, you know, a handsome Texan. And, I mean, like, he saved up enough money, you know, working at that diner that he was able to afford that very nice, like, uh, cowhide suitcase. Yeah. Which, like – Honestly, if I could have one prop from this movie, that's that's what you I go want. find it, an old school cowhide suitcase. Brief, it yeah. is it is it is a hell of a suitcase for sure. Um, what a flex! It, yeah, it's incredible. But um, the pedigree of this movie, like this, is a movie that um, you know like, it came out in 1969, but it won Best Picture, yep, uh, Best Director for John Schlesinger. It also won Best Adapted Screenplay. A uh, fellow by the name of Waldo Salt. Oh, we're going to get into Waldo yeah, Salt. Yeah, we'll get into Waldo Salt in a minute. Uh, but based on a book that had come out a few years prior yeah. to this. It also um, is the only Best Picture winner to have the coolest rating. Yes, which we'll get to that in a second, too. Okay. I want to talk a lot about that. It also got nominations for both Dustin Hoffman and John Voight. Deservedly Miles. so. Yeah, deservedly so. Sylvia Miles got a Best Supporting Actress nomination. Not going to lie, that's an odd knob. Yeah, that one that was weird. We can get into her character in a minute, too. But the, uh, the one that I really liked, the nomination that it got, was for Best Editing. Didn't yeah. win. Didn't win. Uh, gonna... Ended up losing out to uh, a film called Z. Um, Never saw that a, one. Which was a Costa Gravis film. So never. he's an interesting guy. So I'm sure it was. I'm sure it's great. I'm sure it's great. I've never, I've never actually seen it. But this film in particular is very well edited. Which again, it was just tease after tease after tease. Here we're going to get into the yeah. editing of this. Movie I have a lot shortly. of notes specifically about the editing in yeah. this film. It's an incredible movie. Yeah. So just, I mean, digging into the to the pedigree just a little bit more. Like Schlesinger as as a director, like he came out of the theater scene, and this is a, like. Late 60s, some of the new Hollywood types showing up. We guys like Mike Nichols coming out of the theater to make movies as well. Like John Schlesinger was another one kind of of that ilk. He did this. He did Marathon Man yeah. five or six years later. And then he worked real solid, more or less right up until he passed away. He passed away early 2000s. Really? Yeah. He's, his last credit was 2000. Whoa. But movies like Pacific Heights and uh, uh, Eye for okay. an Eye and like like solid just kind of thrillers that I remember seeing once when you know nothing that really like uh, made made the impact that he did back in the seventies like he never got oh. back to that height. But. Oh shit, Clint, you forgot forgot Day of the Locust. Day of the Locust. Yeah, see uh, these are sol- all these, solid like, Hollywood flick. Like a like solid workman like thrillers. He did that. Yeah. yeah. No. But never quite the the staying power of the the Midnight Cowboy and the Marathon Man. I mean, dude, how career. many people have 
such a well executed idea of they're going to be like I'm going to take a Texan aspiring gigolo and pair him up with like a, a street smart a street smart Italian guy named Ratso yeah. and have them fall in love. So good. So good. So good. I mean, none of these other none of these other movies could p- compare to this. And I mean, like, is is this the segue to uh, Waldo Salt? who also wrote one of the other, like, great, grimy 70s New York movies, which is Serpico. Yep. Which... By the way, just the name Waldo Salt yeah. is just a wonderful name. <laughs> like, he gets he gets all of the credit just by being named Waldo Salt. Oh. His daughter, by the way, in this movie, Jennifer yeah. Salt. Weird who's... weird role. Yeah. Not, not one I would have chose for my daughter, but... Sure. Know. Crazy Annie. Yeah. Also, Waldo Selt also wrote Day of the Locust, which was directed by Schlesinger. So yep. it's nice to see uh, John and Paul team up again. They, they stay friends. You know, and um, he also wrote this other movie before Midnight Cowboy called Blast of Silence, hmm. which I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's about a hitman, like a Cleveland hitman that goes to New York to like bump off this like small time mob boss. It's really good. It's really cool. Like very the beginnings of the French new wave starting to seep into, oh, into yeah, like, yeah. Ho- like low budget Hollywood pictures. Right. But what's great is if anybody actually takes the time to, you know, like Google the trailer, the way the, like the narrator in the trailer says, like he says, fancy women fan- <laughs> and fancy hoodlums. This is the asphalt jungle. This is New York city with its fancy women and fancy hoodlums. Which fancy just, hoodlums? Just the term fancy hoodlum yeah. is, you know, a a great handle for anybody that wants it. Yeah, like, at fancy. You can you yeah. can hit me up at fancy, fancy hoodlum. hoodlum, and then like B. But it's 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 really just like a sick black and white old school thriller. Yeah, that's cool. I mean the other the other couple of guys, Dustin Hoffman. Who? This is there's a fellow by the name of Dustin Hoffman. Haven't heard of him. He had himself a decade. Like he did the graduate a couple years prior to this. Yeah. Then there's then there's Midnight Cowboy. And then we were talking about this earlier. Like, I mean, you can just rattle off what he did. Yeah, I, I actually have the list right here. You want Do me to it. rattle yeah. off? Yes, please. I, I rattle. can't. I can't imagine anybody having a fucking run, or like a run like this. Their whole in, career in in a decade, in yeah. a little more in thirteen years. The Graduate in '67. That pretty much is like that. And Bonnie and Clyde kick off like the birth of New Hollywood. You know, does a couple of less than classics in between some of these mm-hmm. movies, but nevertheless, like comes back in 69 with this film, midnight cowboy after midnight cowboy. He is in a Arthur Penn, the director of Bonnie and Clyde's movie called little big man, yep. where he plays the sole survivor of uh, little Bighorn. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, he plays my personal favorite peck and Sam peck and movie straw dogs. Yeah. After that, he does that movie. will put hair in your chest. Oh yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Shit. <laughs> All right. Anyway, after that, in 73, does Papillon? Mm-hmm. Did I say it right? Yep. This Papillon. is the only one on this list that I haven't seen yet. It's it's uh, him and Steve McQueen. Yeah. Yeah. They're yeah. like escaping from a, a, a prison island. Yeah. Yeah. After Papillon, he does Lenny, which is an excellent uh, document, not documentary, I'm sorry, uh, biopic, biopic yeah. on Lenny Bruce, the comedian, that is directed by Bob Foss. Foss or Fossey? Fossey? Yeah. It's Fossey? Yeah. Anyway. All that jazz guy. Right. This is the movie he does before that. This movie f***ing rules. It's <laughs> uh, it's so it's so cool. It's just it's really good. After after that, you know, he takes on the federal government and all the president's men in mm-hmm. '76. Same year, 
teams back up with Schlesinger for Marathon Man. And then Is three, it safe? Yeah. And then three years later, Kramer versus Kramer. And then that's, that stops before he gets to the 80s that he kicked off with Tootsie, yeah. which is another. Like, this uh, point is, in that stretch of time, like, that's a whole career. Listen. That is a whole career that he just rattled off in the span of about a decade. It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, careers were literally built on one of these movies. Yeah. Uh, John Voight, on the other hand, I think, I, I mean, he worked steady after that, like, before and after that. He was one of those guys that, like, you know, I think Harrison Ford was kind of in this crowd, too. Like, the guys that did guest spots on Gunsmoke and then subsequently became stars. There's, like, a, a weird list of, like, a fraternity of... of movie stars that came out of guest starring on things like Gunsmoke and you know they played four different characters or something like that John Voight was kind of one of those guys he did that he did this he did Deliverance a few years later and then he just worked non-stop but nothing for for me it is an complete blank stretch of John Voight between Deliverance and Mission Impossible when he when he became like rich villainous power broker guy and like leaned into that with with mission impossible and enemy of the state and and like that late 90s run even i would argue varsity varsity blues, blues, where he's like the coach i would texas high school football coach counts as rich villainous power i mean broker. that's just i mean <laughs> you know? like let's be real like that's just good casting too right yeah. like let's get joe buck to play the high school football coach yeah you know yeah. uh i will say this though like a, my dad would come up onto this stage and talk about how Mickey Donovan is, like, the greatest character ever. And then, secondly, like, while John Voight doesn't have the list of bangers like uh, uh, Dustin Hoffman does, like, his contributions to movies like Heat and Mission Impossible are, like, indelible. Like, yeah. He's... Yeah, tell minute, you, like, ten, he can do a lot with, like, five minutes of mm-hmm. screen time. But I will say that, like, Deliverance and... And Midnight Cowboy are absolute bangers. Yeah. And Catch Twenty Two. I don't know if you're a World War Two guy, but like yeah. Catch Twenty Two is a solid adaptation. Right. Yeah. And it's like, but again, like there's there's young John Voight in in Midnight Cowboy and Deliverance, and then there's old evil John Voight. Yeah. Like peppered in with like Nick Cage's dad, John Voight from the National Treasure movies yeah. or whatever. But like those barely count. Like there are two versions of John Voight, and there's just a complete blank spot in my brain in between those even though he was working the whole time yeah oh yeah but his 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 imdb is long yes yes it is we're also forgetting about one of the better john voight roles which is his cameo in seinfeld when george costanza buys john voight's lebaron buys his old lebaron yeah, yeah. john voight's lebaron yeah. uh that's the most important john voight role i agree uh which Seminal like s- but that was in the era when like that would have been in that era prior to heat and mission impossible probably right yeah right before that, right, right before he that blew up been again because 90s. like for him to be the butt of a chrysler lebaron joke on seinfeld like that's that's where he's at yeah uh and then he becomes then he goes on a, a really hell of a run rich villainous power broker guy john voight the actor that's right he just happened to be the previous owner of the uh, vehicle <laughs> You bought a car because it belonged to John Voight? No, no. I think yes, yes. You like the idea of telling people you're driving John Voight's car. Maybe I do, so what? The other thing, like when we're talking about the pedigree of this movie, the legacy of this movie, the other thing we can talk about real quick before we dive into some of the the art of the scene, brilliant moments type of stuff, the rating. 
of this yes, movie. Yes, let's talk about so it. So this is officially on the record. This is the only best picture X-rated one. movie to win Best Picture. But it's rated X. It's rated X. X. But that's not really the whole story behind it being rated X. Now, based on research we did on the internet, it was actually rated R. And then I guess, I don't Here's where, like, the gap in, like, the narrative, like, lapse, right? Is like, so the studio, I guess, hired some psychologists to, like, analyze the film. And just based on, like, the gay undertones and stuff like that, they, they recommended it would be rated. They recommend it be rated X. Yeah. So the studio just, you know, didn't want to cause some shit. Because, like, I mean, again... uh the Hayes Code is probably still like like a warm dead body. It's at this a point. yeah yeah. It, it it is a it is a not distant memory because yeah. the Hayes Code officially left uh, what the sixty three sixty four something like that. Um, so it was just in recent memory. But then that, and but even that was like studio self imposed kind of yeah. thing. So the habit of playing it safe as a studio was was still very much in effect. But the other interesting thing, the other thing that that like that was different at the time like r-rated movies were ba- it was basically the pg-13 of the yeah. 60s right yeah. it yeah. was if you were 14 you could get into an r-rated movie god so it's a little different be- so rated x was basically just like we don't want 14 year olds to come see this movie so it wasn't because like looking at this movie now by today's standards especially um it is it is nowhere near rated x like, i mean even not, even as even at the time, they re-rated it R like a couple of years later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Back in those days, of rating like a, an X rating wasn't exactly what it means today. It wasn't like it wasn't porno, and particularly because it, I mean the, anything that's, that's on HBO. The porn industry trying to make it. Yeah. Right. Um, this the is the heyday of the sixties, by the way. Fascinating time for movies. Fascinating. Uh, which I, th- I feel like that's gonna we're gonna keep bringing oh, yeah. that up uh, slowly but surely the whole time. But you know it's funny because like R was fourteen and up back in back then, and then like then it was all the way into the early eighties when you get like Poltergeist and Temple of Doom and things like that. It's kind of like, weird. Got th- the PG thirteen. It's kind of weird to think you can like a fourteen year old could have gone and see Bonnie and Clyde in theaters without parental consent. Yeah. And Easy Rider. Mm-hmm. And they would have totally understood it. <laughs> I'm thinking because that was and, and this is the other thing about this movie like I, you know it was on AFI's top 100 the first time that they did their top 100 back in the yeah, late yeah. 90s and so I was 16 when that when that dropped hell yeah um, so like I was a teenager watching watching uh, Midnight Cowboy without parental supervision because they didn't card me at Blockbuster you know so that was the last time I'd watched this movie was when I watched it in, when, when I was working through that entire AFI list in high school um, so I was, I was 16, 17 years old when I, when I watched it. Um, and I'm watching it now again. It's just, it's so much better than it was when I was just yeah, like right? cruising through it as a teenager. I mean, it was actually that good then too. You're just, brain, yeah, no, you just didn't I'm, have enough folds at the moment. Is, you, do you think it's me that changed? Not the movie? No, I think okay. the mo- they, Joel, like 41 year old Clint Schle- different from yeah. <laughs> actually Schlesinger has just been recutting it ever since despite Slowly. the fact despite the fact that he died in 2008 yeah yeah but anyway it's it's a fascinating thing it's it's an x-rated movie i think i think it gets a little uh revisionist history is not the right word but there's it was just a different rating system yeah. back then um but it still holds the title for only x-rated movie to win a uh win best picture i mean Worth deservedly it. so yeah yeah another notch in its cool belt yeah exactly you want to start talking about the movie now yeah let's do it 
Okay, let's talk about uh, brilliant moments here. All right. I, I, I want to start talking just immediately about the title sequence. Let's do it. I was, that was where I wanted to go first. So. Right out of the gate. It's a great example of one of my favorite things. It's kind of a lost art to me. You don't see it a whole lot anymore. But like the no, no dialogue, no scenes. I mean, there's a little bit, but just kind of incidentally in this movie. But the, the way that the title sequence establishes everything you need to know about this guy is, is incredible. Yeah. Like just just showing you the the setting, images of the town, him walking and getting on a bus and saying bye to people, and you get the sense of this guy and where he's coming from immediately while you're doing the business of the opening titles. Yeah, and it's great. It reminds me that like Dog Day Afternoon is another great example of this. Um, Hal Ashby did it in The Landlord uh, yeah. of just like there's this title sequence that completely establishes the wealth disparity of a gentrifying neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> we're like doing that as we're watching the opening titles. I mean, it's like just amazing, right? Like that these guys were like contractually obligated to have these opening credits mm-hmm. and they were just like, yep, we're going to still manage to push the narrative forward yep. here. Yeah. I, I, I love it. Like it's so good. And like, we're going to be talking about it a lot, but like we might as well talk about the, uh, the, the uh, Harry Nielsen song. Everybody's talking. Yep. Right. Like, just like even just the lyrics as he's just like walking around town like everybody's talking at me i don't hear a word they're saying only the echoes in my mind mm-hmm. so it's just like this guy it's just like told a couple of people i'm going to go off i'm i'm going off to new york to become a big a big gigolo yep. and everybody's like you sure you sure you want to do that and he's like yep absolutely yeah yep yeah, there's a, he's got that conversation with a, a cook that he was yeah. working with in the diner. He's like, yeah, there's lots of rich women, and you know, they're paying for it. I and have that in my uh, most quotable lines. Yeah, 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 yeah. The cook is just like, uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> I, do, I do believe he refers to the men of New York City as Tutti Fruities. Tutti Fruities, yeah. yeah. That's, that's a different thing about the 60s. Oh, yeah. there's, which we can address that right now, too. Like, there, it's by today's standards, of course, like, it, you know. Horribly uh, homophobic. Yes. Yeah. Incredibly so. I, I, it didn't, to me, feel like the writer was writing it for the sake of it. Absolutely. Like, it not. felt at home in the characters. Like, I've, you make a movie about these two guys to, that's set in 2023, and they're still throwing around those words. Yeah. And, and be, you know, but that's the type of person that they are. It wasn't like a a a judgmental stance that the filmmakers were taking. Like, no, it definitely was, not. It was very much in character, but but still, it was a lot. At the end lot. of the day, and, this is a movie about two men who very much love each other, and it can probably be legitimately debated if they were actually partners. Yeah, yeah, they might have been. Yeah, who knows? Is that what it looks like in Texas? Uh, honestly, one town over from me yeah. looks looks a lot like that. Yeah, like I always found it strange, like in like those Texas towns where it's like you have the main drag, and then they have not parallel parking; they have it just like pull in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, yeah, just kind of angled. Yeah, a little bit. So you just kind of like. Yep, we got that on the square. Far out, man. Um, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> so then we get we get straight into. I mean. It, that that title sequence trick of like telling moving the narrative forward like it's it's efficient let's be honest man there's a lot of montage in the beginning of this movie it yeah. gets a lot of narrative there's a lot of montage right? cuz like cuz like not only is the opening credit of him just like walking walking around town but then like the next like what 5 5 minutes is him taking a bus to new york city which is also just all montage. The bus ride, yeah. I mean, the title sequence ends with him getting on a bus, yeah. and then the bus ride itself is another montage for, I think it might be 15 minutes. Like, I mean, it's it's, it's a long. chunk of the movie. And this, to me, is where the editing really starts to shine. Yeah. 
um, because this opening, the sequence on the bus establishes something that winds up being very important through the rest of the film, and that's distinguishing real time, what's taking place in the present, what he's imagining, what he's dreaming, and what he's remembering. Right? Yeah. They, they're all, they're, all four of those. There's reality, there's memory, and there's fantasy. Yeah. And those things are intertwined and edited and juxtaposed in very fascinating ways throughout the film, and, which I think is agreed. And distinct, too. Yeah. Like, you know exactly yeah. what he's remembering or what he's imagining doing. There's a sequence that comes up later. The first time Rico hustles, hustles Joe, which is hilarious, and then Joe is imagining chasing him down. He's running through the streets, but parallel, he's also imagining running through the streets and yep. catching up with Rico and like choking him out. But then yep. also while he's doing that, he's remembering a different time where he was running through the streets in his own past and like traumatic things that happened to him. Like he was getting chased there. He was, yeah, sure. But so he was getting chased and he, and so like you're left with this, this really fast paced montage where number one, it is completely clear like what's happening when yeah. and whether or not it's real. And then also, you're left with the, the impression of this guy who is, he's angry, he's confused, he's remembering a time when he was, was traumatized, and he's, fe- he's having those feelings again, but also he's mad and he's going to kill a guy if he gets his hands on him. Like, so it's just this incredible, the way the film is, is cut and, and shot, too, because they do some cool effects with yeah, like yeah. the look of the film stock, too. But it's just this fascinating like scattershot approach that really feels like the echoes of... Yeah, thank, mind. yeah, I agree. Yeah. Right. Like, I think that's like, I think that's kind of what is so good about the editing in this film. You just took my next point, which was that go right ahead, which was that, or you like, could call it a segue. <laughs> eh, no. okay. I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to embellish, embellish, it, I'm going to embellish. Right. So it's like, it's like, we're talking, we're talking about like the, everybody's talking song and like, that song is a metaphor just echoes through the edit of this film. And it's just like fascinating about how, like, like we said, like, you know, it takes the present reality, it takes fantasy and it takes memory. And it just like mixes it together as this guy's life is just deteriorating, but he doesn't really, I don't know, accept it. And it's like, there's just, there's just so many weird, like editing juxtapositions. Like, when he first sleeps, like when he finally falls asleep at like uh, Rizzo's, like the in the tenement bu- building, yeah. like the abandoned ten- tenement building, right? Like there's like the scenes where like he's getting pulled off, where he's getting like pulled off of Jennifer Salt's character, right? And honestly, this is probably like the weirdest editing juxtaposition in the film, or at least in my mind, I was just like, oh god damn, this is like this is some fucked up shit yeah. right here, right? They're having him pulled off of like Jessica salt. Then they're parallel editing that with him getting spanked by his grandmother as mm-hmm. a little boy. And then they're parallel editing that with an enema. Yeah. And it's just like, it's like, eh. th- that's the other thing that we didn't touch on that. The opening sequence oh. establishes there's like this Horn- oh. incredibly bizarre dynamic Dude, that he has with his grandmother. That shot where he's, uh, massaging his grandmother in like the beauty shop when he's just like walking downtown. And it, yeah, and we're, she's, we're gonna she's get getting in. she's getting downright orgasmic about it. Uh, it's it's strange. Uh, horny grandma is like one of my key points. <laughs> in it. we'll get to horny grandma in a minute, but before we do, we also need to talk about how uh, Rizzo's fantasy, yes, and how delightful. 
yes. utterly, utterly delightful. So, and just in in the way that Joe, because Joe is is very much our our protagonist yeah. for I mean, for the whole movie, yeah, but yeah. then but Rico is is you know very much the, the the second chair. But he gets a moment. We get to to kind of float into his perspective for this time where. They, we get to a point in the movie where he, first of all, Joe is a terrible hustler. Yeah, we're gonna get. Let's not we're, dwell on that. Yeah, just know he's waiting outside while Joe's failing they, yet again. They to think close they've the got deal. their ticket. Yeah, like Rico thinks that like this is the this is the version of this plan that's really gonna work, yeah. and here we go. And then he's waiting outside in the street, just imagining himself Miami. In, in Miami. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, my favorite shot of the film is actually from this entire sequence, which is, you know, as he's doing the montage, like he has to get the buffet ready before everybody can eat. But specifically the shot where Joe Buck is just sitting down and then the camera pans over and it's just Rico, like rolling dice with all of these (laughs) old women, just like rolling bones with the grandmas is incredible. And there's this woman that is in the upper right part of the frame like she's like on the right of rico and she's just got this fucking yeah. white fur coat covered in jewelry has got a fucking gangster roll in her hand mm-hmm. that she clearly does not give a shit if she's ready to lose <laughs> and she has like the Massive, cigarette yeah, yeah. the cigarette and like the hunter s thompson fucking cigarette holder like oh and like the nose guard yeah and, like this old lady like this, before the zinc oxide yeah. they just put like like cardboard over yeah. their nose to keep from getting sunburned again because like this this grandma is just balling yeah like, what, 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 a life. what it seems like to me is they had a table of props yeah. for this group of of ladies and this lady showed up first and was like oh these are my props and then she just put them all on i don't like, know i don't know <laughs> i don't the fur coat and cigarette holder and everything i don't know when they painted the dogs playing poker yeah like <laughs> painting but now like this this is like this is like the old lady version of dogs playing poker and it's just like these old ladies just standing around throwing grandma's throwing bones Mm -hmm. and like rico just like facilitating yeah and everybody's just having time there's there's also parts of that fantasy where he's just walking through and he's walking through like pushing an old woman in a wheelchair i think and he's just walking through and he's like looking up at the hotel and there's women standing on the balcony just like with with bills in their hands just saying hi rico hi rico and just it is it's so so specifically funny that this is his this is his heaven yeah right there's two shots in that film like in that sequence that like not only is it like rico's heaven right but like speak to him as a character like one of the shots is him getting a shoe shoe shine shoes shined yep right and like we know we'll talk we'll probably talk about it later about how like one of the main scenes is when like Joe Buck is like when they're in the subway they break in and shine his shoes. Yeah. But the other one, and that's like like while I think that I absolutely one hundred percent want an oil painting of Rico playing dice Rolling with the old ladies like yeah. hanging above my couch in my living room. <laughs> like the the actual like heartbreaking moment of that where you like really feel for him is his fantasy. It's like maybe the opening shot where you see like Joe Buck like running down the beach oh he's like and then rico gets up and runs with him and it's just like oh he can run like he doesn't have he doesn't have like the gimp anymore well and and joe is like running like i don't know either like a nine-year-old boy or a a golden retriever yeah he does that like like, weird show like he does that weird like kind of hop and like hey uh, 
I mean, that's um, how I start every one of my runs. Exactly. Yeah. Every time I'm on the beach, I'm exactly that. Well, happy. you know what? You know, you know why he has to run like that? He's wearing pants. Like people running in like normal clothes, you always just assume something's wrong because like no one ever like. If you ever see someone running in jeans, they did not plan they to didn't be running to at run. that moment, <laughs> <laughs> right? So like, he's wearing nice. He's wearing nice pants. Yeah. I know he doesn't have a shirt on, but like you have to make it look fun because if you just see someone running in pants, they did not. Yeah, that's like this is me being spontaneous. Yeah, because like, yeah. I did not intend to run. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't run from Jesus. So can we uh, can we move on to what I think is the oddest but low key most hilarious part of this? Yes, please. Sexually active grandma. Sexually active grandma. Okay, let's get back into the the sexually active grandma stuff. It ruined Joe Buck's entire life. Frisky grandma. Yeah, frisky. absolutely. Oh, frisky grandma is yeah. even better. That sound that sounds like an odd replacement. Grandma's movie. got herself a new bow. Here's three dollars. There's a TV dinner in the fridge. Like it's just. I mean, he like is that like the invention of like the latchkey kid? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think that was a new invention, right? That, uh, maybe that was just a new name for it. I, I don't know. I like it's Texas. It's like home it's, of like the mega churches and moral moral values. And here's grandma yeah, just well, being you know, like, small towns gotta gotta get their kicks too. I guess so. <laughs> but like, I think it, like what's so great about this is like how they like kind of dole it out, right? Like yeah. so, like in the opening scene, it's just like he's sitting in the beauty parlor and you watch him massage his grandma, which is like. Yeah, a pretty good euphemism for like being a gigolo, mm-hmm. right? And then like it kind of like dulls out like all the you're the most handsome cowboy in all of Texas, or like yeah, there's that fine line between like just doting grandmother yeah. and like a little pervy. Definitely, you know? yeah. <laughs> it's not. It's it doesn't take much to like jump the other side of that line in terms of how they portray it, right? Yeah, and it, and what they cut it with, and that's the thing, right? Yeah. And then that, and then. And that's how we're why we're still continuing to talk about having I haven't seen Z, so I can't account I can't account for it. But <laughs> I still maintain that the best editing not the best editing Oscar was a robbery because mm-hmm. like the way they do all of this is incredibly delicate yep. and nuanced. And like I feel like I came out of this movie with a complete understanding of how weird and fucked up Joe Buck's relationship is with his like main guardian, which is his grandma. Yeah. She's like the reverse psycho grandma. Yeah. Because, like, where Norman Bates' mother was, like, you know, like, Eve, like, just hated the idea of him even having a partner. Right. She was just, like, all around town. Grandma's got a brand new bow, which yep. is and a that, great song title. Those, those, couple, those couple of shots, yeah, it's, it's the follow-up to, like, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer, right? Yeah. Like, there's a couple of shots where you see it where – there, the three of them are in bed. To like grandma, oh, grandma's yeah, new bow with a with She's a bottle of beer. Yeah, She's in like a, her, her you know night dress, and and then little Joe is just sitting there in between them, laughing. They're all laughing, having a good time, and you know, in 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 a certain degree, that looks like a healthy 
like they're all happy together. He's a part of, but then also Does you, it? You, you tie well, but like it looks like you know it's not like I remember getting because the other with my grandma and her boyfriend. What I'm saying is the other version of that <laughs> is the kid waiting, like getting kicked out of the like wait outside, and then listening to his grandma and her new beau like go at it, and then like he's mistreated. Like she very clearly loved him in her way, and like but then you couple that with the massage stuff, the enema stuff. Like they start to dole out, like you say, they start to dole out really delicately the the fringes of that r- dynamic that are actually really disturbing, and actually inform his want. And by the way, like every woman that he goes after is, is an older. older woman. Yeah. And so, like, it's clear that he is. He's, he's got just, a type. He's got a type, and it's his grandma. It's yeah. frisky grandma. Frisky grandma. He's been chasing that frisky grandma. Yeah. All, all, all through you the gotta, country. You got to chase Tex- that frisky grandma high. From, from, from <laughs> Texas to New York City. Mm-hmm. It's just a strong underpinning of the motivations of Joe Buck. And, like, some of the visuals that they concocted, and to your point, right, like the way that they dole them out and yep. it's just, like, spaced out, it just it paints a wonderfully detailed portrait of Joe Buck over time that is just, like, nuanced and f- up in a way that I just don't think we get in movies. And today. by the way, the only time that he even mentions his grandmother, um, he asked, there's two, I think there's once or twice, maybe three times, uh, but a couple of them are really innocuous. Like he's asked, he asked a guy on the bus, yeah. did you know my grandmother, Sally yeah. Buck? Um, and I think he, he mentions her name again later. And I then he also that, yeah. mentions to, to Rico that something about, it's when Rico's talking about his dad dying and then Joe mentions like, oh, my grandma didn't even tell me when she died. And it cuts to him sitting on the porch and the house is foreclosed. He's come back from the war. Um, he's, he's in a military or that's right. basic he's a, he's or something a, like that. He's in military dress. A, do you think that's Korea? In 69, it, it would have it had to have been something like that. It would have been early for Vietnam, right? Or maybe he just enlisted and was done with it or like how, something. How, I mean, how, how old is Joe Buck? Is Joe Buck early 20s or is yeah. Joe Buck early 30s? He's got to be early 20s, I think. You think? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I, early mid-20s, on, on, maybe? Honestly, like with these like these like late 60s movies and stuff like that, I can't tell anymore. <laughs> yeah, everybody looked 35. Yeah, from the like time Dustin Hoffman in a graduate apparently just like got done with college. He looks like 35. Yeah. yeah. And then two years later, he's in he's he's playing Rico and there's just no yeah. telling. Yeah. All these. They do all of that work establishing his relationship as, as weird as it is with his grandmother. They don't say it. They don't say it ever. There's nothing explicit about it. It's all implied with the editing, which is again like you know, the edit the editing's better than the script. I think. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, the script. I, I suppose should, because that's the other thing I wanted to talk about in, in in the bus ride sequence, because this is based on a novel, right? In the bus ride sequence, we get the the first hints of maybe why he's leaving. Yeah. There's the there's the his personal goals that he's very excited about going to New York to be to becoming a uh, become a gigolo. There's that great that great moment when they get close to town and his AM radio is yeah. finally picking up New York broadcasts. Yes. And there's a guy interviewing women on the street about like, what they what's your look- ideal man? Like, yeah. And the first one that he hears is like, "Well, it's Gary Cooper, but he's dead." <laughs> and then, just, and then, but like they, they it's rattle such a wonderful up, foreshadowing. They rattle up a couple of things before he's like, "That's me." Yeah, yeah. yeah. They get there's four or five of them yeah. that aren't him, and then somebody finally yells. Like, yeah, outdoorsy type yeah. and tall. And he's like, that's me. I did it. Uh, excuse me, ma'am. 
the way that they establish his his life like his relationship with crazy annie they start to to float through that and start to introduce what happened there which is clearly he and he and his buddies like crazy annie had a bad reputation in town she slept around i guess yeah and uh he and his buddies that's his, his buddies were like tormenting her but but she loved joe and joe you get hints of it you never fully get the, the whole story that's the only thing i don't completely understand is that story and i guess i mean either i'm an idiot which is very possible so like please anybody that is watching this podcast and actually knows the story yeah. about crazy annie Please let us know in the comments what actually transpired there. But I'm I just think, assuming it's supposed to be abstract, and we're not supposed to fully exactly. know. Exactly, and I think and I think that's the point of it, and yeah. that's the point that the film is trying to make, right? Like, I don't even think Joe is quite sure what happened there, yeah. you know. And so, if if Joe is our narrator, then there's no way that we shouldn't have a clear picture of it either, because I think he was just as confused about what happened as anybody. I, but the the point, like, this is adapted from a book. So, like, how many chapters of the book was that bus ride? You know, or yeah. or the events that he's remembering in the bus ride. Like, I mean, that's, that's the thing. It's, it uh, it uh, makes Clint. me want to watch the book just so I can or so watch the book. When are we book. when are we gonna get the what's the difference? I'm working on it. <sighs> it's not a bad one actually. Yeah, I know it's not. I'm gonna do. Uh, yeah, I'm because I do want to read the book now because yeah. it'd be specifically because of the editing of this movie. Yeah. Nothing to do with the screenplay. Just the I think I, I feel like the thing that I like the most about this screenplay is the restraint that it showed in not explicitly dialoguing all that stuff. Right, like. Which is why the edit is that much more impressive to me. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage... Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I 
wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm new here in town, just in from Texas, you know, and I'm looking for the Statue of Liberty. We're talking about the nuance and how information is doled out slowly. The other part of the film that's more explicit about that but still does a really good job is Joe Sucks is a hustler. Yeah. And this <laughs> absolute worst, absolute worst hustler so ever. That, let's talk about the, the first encounter that he has. Yeah. With, uh, Excuse uh, me, ma'am. You know where the uh, Statue of Liberty is? <laughs> you don't want to see the Statue of Liberty at all, do you? Um, so... The first woman that he actually sleeps with is is Sylvia Miles' character, Cass. Great performance. Got her a Academy Award nomination which for that's Best like, Supporting Actress. Like there. Judy Dench in Shakespeare in Love yeah. levels of like like the ratio of screen time to nomination is incredible. Yeah. Like she's not in this movie much at all, but it is a really pivotal moment uh, in the movie because like he's so bad, he ends up paying her. Yeah, she 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 gets him for cab money. Yeah. Yeah, and takes a twenty dollar bill just out of out of his wallet Dude, and while like she's crying. And he twenty dollars in like nineteen sixty nine. Yeah, that is that is. I I kind of wonder what if they were to update it to to now. Like, would they be? Would he be handing out so hundred dollar bills? Interesting or? juxtaposition, right? She got him for twenty for cab fare, mm-hmm. and like later in the movie when he finally does close a deal, Ratso got a dollar for cab yeah, fare. Yeah, he so tacks like, on a dollar for yeah. his own cab. So like, how much? Does, does a cab listen i lived in new york city for like five years i i had to be bleeding to get into a cab yeah. <laughs> right I'm, i was uh subway all the way yeah f train for life there you go but like how much of a difference is there like she needs twenty dollars to get wherever the hell is she going where's she going like jfk and like ratso needs a buck yeah she's gonna take a cab to philly for 20 bucks i think yeah but the um uh but yeah the fact that he is just so bad at this is is wonderful um and even i mean some of that speaks to like what we're talking about him on the bus and maybe he doesn't exactly get what happened with crazy annie he doesn't understand why all of that went down um and he doesn't understand much of anything he's just an idiot he's just he he is the puppy that we saw running on the beach in rico's fantasy yeah right he really is that yeah because i mean like that's just like that's just like fuck up one right then like he meets ratso Mm-hmm. Rizzo, whatever, right? And like that whole scene where like such an amazing shot of just like the tracking shot where Rizzo's like, yeah, you need management, like yeah. you know, like I'm gonna I'm gonna set you up, but I'm like, you know, you're gonna get set up, you're gonna get set up with a guy like with O'Daniel who's gonna give you tons of money. Like, what am I gonna get? What am I gonna get for my time? I need ten bucks. Yeah, I need ten then, bucks right now. I need ten bucks, bucks when I for for when expenses. I introduce you. And yeah. then 
the whole time he's doing that, they're just like walking down like a row of payphones, and he's fucking checking, yep. like hanging it up, checking for change in every one. Those those details are incredible. There's also a shot in that sequence that I love where it opens at a at a restaurant, and there's a tray of a milkshake and a martini. Being, and that's what the camera that motivates a camera move that then catches up with them walking on the street outside of that cafe, and it's just that that disparity of just like I mean the, the idea of a milkshake and a martini, and then we cut to Joe Buck and Rico, is is also really funny. It's right? incredible. So then you know later in the film, he decides to like turn like to turn some tricks like in Midtown, and like he picks up Bob Balaban who yes a young bob balaban the youngest go, bob balaban yeah, who decides to uh, go down on him in a movie theater when he tries to get paid for that bob balaban has no money just some school books you know just a tish kid yeah. looking for trick look, looking for tricks and uh he offers to give him his and then like joe buck tries to take his watch but then after listening to Bob Balaban's sob story, decides not to take it. So, like, you won't even take the kid's yeah. watch. Well, and that's that's the thing about this movie as a whole to me is, like, it's there's no, like, overriding lesson or morality play. It's, it's just, like, tragic stuff happening to regular people, right? Yeah. And every one of these moments where Joe Buck is bad at being a gigolo. Yeah is the result of it is like him realizing how tragic the other person that he's in that moment with is. Yeah. It's, and then like, he can't be, you know, he can't be mad Cass, at Cass yeah. blows up and she gets upset and she's sad. And he's like, let me help. Let me, I'm yeah. going to fix this. And then the same thing with Balaban in, in the bathroom, like yeah. he's, he's ready to, to beat him up and he's, he's going to steal his watch and that's going to be the payment. And the, Bob Balaban's like, my mother will kill me if I come home without this watch. And he gives the watch back and he's like, he can't bring himself to inflict more, pain pain on these people soft midwestern yeah. is what it is so i mean I, you know it's just you, you can't be a and that that's only just the next step then we get to the next phase of that right and that's when ratso gets in on the deal mm -hmm. right and ratso you know typical new york hustler understands understands at least how the world works above like 30 foot like 34th street right he goes to the gentleman escort service and like pickpockets like basically like pickpockets like one of like like i guess an actual gigolo's pocket on the lead yeah. and then like gives it to joe and then like joe fucks it up in the lobby by grabbing her ass in that hotel lobby and she slaps him in the face and that's like the whole because like, joe thinks it's this is the sure thing yeah like, i mean this is great dude i'll the whole time i'm the whole time i'm watching that sequence all i could think about is glim gary glenn ross and it's just like like alec baldwin the leads are weak <laughs> these are the Glenn Gary elites and he's like you're weak like yeah. he couldn't even close the deal she called she called for, she an, called escort. for an escort and Joe Buck couldn't close yeah Rizzo drops him off he's like I did it I hustled I, I figured he's this already in Florida. the New York way. Yeah. He's already in Florida. Yeah. And then Joe Buck's there to f*** it up he just messes it up what's great about that that string of, of complete failures ends with the party yes so this is the party sequences and this is this is the the other kind of the, the last uh, brilliant moment i i, I, get, just to I have about. a couple of rapid fire ones i want to go with you that don't have like this kind of long, long of an arc but so the, we'll go rapid fire after this the party, i want to talk about the part the there. party sequence is great because there's there's this there's a vein of late 60s acid trip 
party. Yeah, the fact party three. sequences. The Andy Warhol's factory. Andy Warhol's yeah. factory. Uh, Easy Rider had one in the cemetery. Like yeah. those, like weird, trippy party sequence montages are kind of kind of a, my kink. Like I love watching these parties that just like camera floats around, grab like the way the the way into that. It's it's floating around, catching snippets of conversations that don't matter to the plot. Yeah, They're, it's just atmosphere stuff. This is the like. You know, and the, the way that they cut in, there's a guy wandering around with a 60 millimeter camera and they cut some of that footage straight in. Like, uh, you know, and the way that they frame that is interesting, too, because they use the 16 millimeter with the curved edge, you know, four by three. But then they also behind it have it blown up and out of focus the way that we cut in like yeah. comic book panels in our edits. Yeah, set, we, you know, we've like, talked about that for a minute, like how you yeah. actually go about doing that this practically. Is, this is one of those things like I understand MP3s and I understand digital everything like i could go do that in premiere three and a half minutes that's fine it's easy i don't have a clue how a record works like a a wax thing with with grooves in it and little bumps sounds like the rolling stones like that blows my mind i don't know how they do it so like photochemically how they cut together that 16 and they even added it like a zoom into the frame at one point and like i think our standing our standing uh theory of how it was done was uh double double negative exposure right yeah. so they had so they they projected the film onto a screen blurry mm-hmm. photographed that but had a black frame like had a had a had mat, a mat, behind a mat it. right in the middle and then they reprojected it again but with it just in the yeah and that and that's how they i don't know how they did that because to your point I just uh, scale it up, yeah. add some ga- gosh and blur, <laughs> and then throw exactly. the second light, throw the clean yeah, version. I, I got the, the Red Giant Universe plugin that just does it for me. But to just finish off the conversation about yes. how Joe Buck sucks as a f-ing hustler, right? He finally gets a woman that is willing to not only pay him to have sex, right? But to pay an extra dollar for Rizzo's cab fare so he can fuck yeah. off. Right. Yeah. And at that moment, Rizzo falls down the stairs and you think this is the thing yeah. that is going to fuck up this time. Even even the win is not a win no. right out of the gate. Yeah. Like he has to. And he's kind of worried about going because yeah. he's oh, like, are you OK? Yeah. You sure you're all right? And so they they go home. But the best part about this this trick is that he can't get it up. Yeah. Like it even when it works, he gets all the way. And then like he doesn't work, you yeah. know, and it's what's also fascinating to me is that this woman Who's is, really into him? Is well, she's but regardless of whether or not she's into him, yeah. she's she's a no, nice I don't mean, person. I don't mean like sexually. I mean like she was like committed to having like a conversation and having yeah. like an evening with. Well, Joe and Buck. even like you know, she's she's supportive and yeah. she's like, don't worry about it. Like we'll just hang mm-hmm. out. We'll yeah. play a board game. Yeah, we'll That's play. Fun. Not yeah. Scrabble, like we whatever that bananagrams. Game. It looks like a or whatever look, looks like um, an early bananagrams. But she she's not a grandma. She's not an older woman. She's this. She's uh, seems to, a contemporary, at least of of uh, age wise. Yeah. But she's she's kind and she's supportive yep. and 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 it just it doesn't work. So like the ones he finally finds himself in a situation that is the one that he had drawn up for himself. You know when he hatched this whole plan, and it still doesn't work. Yeah. Ready to go rapid fire on some of these rapid other fire. shots. So the last last little you brilliant moment rapid fire. Yeah. You go first. Oh no, you had you had them. I've talked about more or less everything I want oh, to talk about. All right. I'm gonna go with the easy one. Joe Buck gets to the city mm-hmm. and he's standing out in the crowd in that long shot. Yeah. Do you know how hard that is to do to just stand out in a New York City crowd? 
Like, there's hundreds of people in that shot. Yeah, it's and you insane. know they weren't all hired extras. Yeah. No, they couldn't. That it was just a day in in New York, yeah. and they managed to pull that. I mean, how long do you think that? So we're talking about the the super long lens, yeah. very shallow focus. Yeah, He's, like, a whole head above everybody yeah. else in the crowd. I'm assuming that that's, like, legit, like, bowfinger, like, camera in a van mm-hmm. parked at the end of the street. It's like, all right. All right, John Voight, yeah. go all the way down. You just start walking up, and we're going to yeah, roll. Yeah, go four blocks that yeah. way because I'm on a 200-millimeter lens. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the way yeah, the way that they got him to stick out like a sore thumb Incredible. on that street is, is great. Other one that I really like a lot, when they're freezing in the tenement building and they're just trying to like dance and they're dancing to that jingle about orange juice and how delicious cold orange juice is. The other one, like what is probably the most tender and touching shot of the film is when they actually get to the get to the mod part, like the, mm-hmm. the factory party, and they're on that same stairwell that he falls down later. But like Joe Buck realizes that there's like something wrong with rats with Rizzo and he's just like, dude, you're all sweaty, like what's up? They're like they get like really close and embrace and he's just like trying to wipe off the extra sweat yeah. from his hair with yeah. his shirt and it's just like like these guys are friends to the end. Yeah. They're they're in it. And there are a lot of tiny little details, too. We skipped over one that happens on the bus ride of the little girl reading the mod Wonder Woman. Yeah, yeah. Which is just like as late 60s and as a guy going to New York to be a gigolo, to be immediately confronted with Wonder Woman making the transition into being what she's like. Because that mod Wonder Woman in the late 60s was this thing where like she didn't have her powers, right? And she was just kind of a badass. She was just like sort of a spy and a badass. And she didn't have powers and she she wasn't. Like the Amazons weren't there and Steve Trevor wasn't there. It was just completely stripped down Wonder Woman and she was a badass. And this little girl reading that comic, like with him going to New York, just utterly clueless. Like that's a detail that's cool. The um there's a there's a moment where he's getting ready to go out and he's looking at himself in the mirror and he's kind of flexing and there's he's got an article taped to the mirror. And the headline of the article says, this woman has $3 million. That's right. I forgot about this shot. That's really <laughs> good. In big, bold letters, it's yeah. just that this woman has $3 million. Yeah. And that's what he's taped next to his mirror as he's like, you know, getting himself ready, which is hilarious. I'm going to put words in your mouth because you talked to me about it yesterday. And I haven't forgotten. And you haven't brought it up yet. But like the last shot, right, where rat, mm. like Rizzo is dead on the bus and it's like, on the exterior of the bus looking in at them and you could just see the reflection of like the Miami palm trees and stuff like that as it's like staring like dead. Yeah. It's great because we're, I mean, we're in the bus with them the whole time and that's the only time that they, they and it almost looks like a, like a double exposure kind of shot too, because, but I think it's just a really like the texture of it changes very slowly and it's kind of a longer shot it might just be a really hey, long dissolve jamie is that a polarizer shot or is that like a lack of a polarizer to get one of those the yeah, yeah get the lack of a polarizer there it is there it is okay yeah. but you see miami they made it to miami literally pulling into miami and this is another thing that's you know uh, about the late 60s is the bus driver's just like oh there's a dead body oh, well, yeah, they have to finish off the route nothing yeah. to be done about it uh, you know we'll just uh we'll, get we'll to, deal we'll with it in Miami. like an hour yeah. everybody we'll just, no, don't worry about close it close his eyes just a, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. close his eyes what just reach over and close his eyes
just drive on in, right? Nothing else we can do. Okay, well, it's just a little illness. We'll be in Miami in a few minutes. Let's go to movie lists here. What? So I records are reliably pretty spotty for for yeah. us on Cinefix in terms of like how we tagged stuff way yeah. back. But honestly, I don't know that Midnight Cowboy has been on a list at all. Best editing? It it needs to be. Yeah, we did that. I feel like we did an editing list not terribly long ago. Um, but man, but it, time runs together. Yeah. So, um, but editing, yeah, for yeah. sure. I mean, it's a, it's an incredibly edited film. Um, there's like a really hyper niche kind of list of just like portrayals of memory on screen. I think yeah. it might be New York this is a great New York movie. Great New York movie. Top yeah. 10 New York movies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It'd be hard to do, uh, like a decade, lit, like best of the sixties. Cause the sixties and here's where we can talk about the sixties. I mean, what, what, what in, movie in, are we going to put from like 1963? I mean, the 60s had, I don't know about 63, but even in 60, 1969, like Wild Bunch, Easy Rider was that year. Um, Butch Cassidy. Butch Cassidy was that year. Then there's like, uh, you know, just a, in the 60s, there's Graduate and Bonnie and Clyde and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and Heat of the Night, Cool Hand Luke. But then, but then even in, towards the beginning of the, the decade, you got Psycho and To Kill a Mockingbird and Lawrence of Arabia. And Vertigo. Kubrick is doing stuff and, and, and Hitchcock and Kurosawa is like High and Low is, is yeah. in the 60s, which is an incredible movie, which the decade, the 60s span a really wild time in yeah. the industry because the Hayes Code's on its way out and the beginning of the decades got those epics like those David Lean, Lawrence of Arabia, Dr. Shivago might have been in oh, the 60s. Vertigo was in was the that, 50s. I was wrong. Yeah, yeah. But there, there's that, um, you know, the fact that we go from Lawrence of Arabia to Midnight Cowboy yeah. in the 60s is incredible. Yeah. And like the David Leans and the Hitchcocks and the Kurosawas are giving way to the Mike Nichols and the Sidney Pollocks and the, the new Hollywood guys are starting yep. to show yep. up. Um, the Arthur Penns. Yeah. It was it was a a really like, you know, it's like you hear about like, well, my grandmother was born in the Great Depression, and think about all the things that she's seen, but it's like think about everything that happened in the '60s in Hollywood, like it's yeah. crazy. But yeah. so I don't I don't know. I guess it would end up on the on the best of the 1960s. I definitely think it would. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's great. I mean, there's also like maybe not so much a Cinefix like like the, the official movie list, but like if we ever went back to the, like those brilliant moments, mm-hmm. like. There's a couple of brilliant moments of Dennis Hoff, Dennis, er, Dustin Hoffman in this. Yeah, yeah. And cinematography. Um, top like top ten shots. Uh, you know, I don't know that I... Cinematography is great. Grandma's Rolling Bones, bro. Gram, Grandma's Rolling Bones is a great shot. Yeah. I mean, just the way that... You know, it might even be like a... I need like an a, oil. Uh, cinematography in, the, in that how different... What we talked about at the top, like, you know... Re- reality fantasy and memory yeah. like how they all three had different looks like i don't know if that's a color correction best top 10 color timing yeah <laughs> movies top 10 movies that end wow, with dustin real, hoffman on a bus getting real esoteric sure. on yeah. um but top 10 dustin hoffman moments we can talk now yeah. let's get into the one like how quotable this movie is there's the yeah. one the one line that's i think in all of the, this probably a list that it did end up on I'm walking here. It might have been on the most uh, like top 100 quotes. Best improv lines. We had a best improv lines. Yeah, because yeah. that was a car that actually almost hit him. Yeah, because they couldn't afford to close down the street. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm walking here. I'm walking here. Up your shoes, son of a bitch! You don't talk me that way. Get out of here. Other favorite Ratso line of mine. 
frankly, you're beginning to smell. And for a stud in New York, that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What a takedown. That's good. I do like, and I think he said it a couple of times, but Joe had the line of, uh, well, I'm not a cowboy, but I am quite a stud. Yeah. And I think he said it a couple times in a couple of different states of mind. Like, I think he was drunk one time. I think it was one time where he was super confident. One time where he was just kind of saying it just because it's like, well, this is what I'm supposed to say. Um, I feel like that line recurred a few times, which is a good one. Also, when uh, Rizzo is like, you know, loading up on on charcuterie at the party. Yeah. And she's just like, why are you stealing food? I thought uh, I was just noticing you're out of salami. I thought uh, somebody had to go back over to the delicatessen, you know, bring some more back. Well, gee, you know, it's free. You don't have to steal it. And then it's like, well, if it's free, then I ain't stealing. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Yeah. You know, just, I love them. That was another one that was just, just a really sad scene. Just um, like, yeah, just grab some salami. Yeah. And he's just shoving it down his pants. As you do. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's, that's how that's how salami is made i mean mostly the for me this the most famous quote in the movie is the song also yeah Yeah, that's for sure which by the way that was uh, apparently schlesinger had a choice between everybody's talking uh which was a cover that harry nelson did oh um it wasn't his original song but he did have another song that was an original uh nelson called i guess the lord must be in new york city um which is, I think, just super on the nose. This is on the nose too, but not in that kind of way. No, but it's a short walk, at least, yeah, yeah. to to get to be on the nose. Honestly, I, <laughs> I mean, we did just like talk about how like the chorus of that song like informed the ed- informed like, the edit editing. that yeah. is that is our favorite part of yeah, the movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. One other quote that I want to do, and I'll, I also want to use this to transition into like the. Uh, the Jesus Bit Player Award, okay. my 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 favorite, which is uh, Mr. O'Daniel's lonesome. I'm lonesome, so I'm drunk. I'm lonesome, so I'm a dope fiend. I'm lonesome. Lonesome. I'm lonesome, so I'm a drunk. I'm lonesome, so I'm a dope fiend. I'm lonesome, so I'm a thief. I'm lonesome, so I'm a he, by the way, is in one scene of this film, and like, he, does, he, yeah. he owns the camera for yeah. that entire scene. What? You don't know if he's gonna rape this dude or what, and he's just like, "I'm gonna run you what? ragged." Well, sitting there, yeah. sitting there watching that scene, and like you, he Joe walks into that place, and you immediately because also prior to Joe walking into that place, uh, uh. Ratso has like taken his money and he's like trying to panic, get, get back get on the out, elevator yeah. so he can get out because yeah. he knows like this is the hustle that I did. I'm done with the hustle. I need to make my escape before yep. he realizes it. Uh, so you know something's wrong. And then he opens the door and you meet that guy and he just look. He's just gross and sweaty and in a bathrobe and like and his eyes are. He's he's, he's so clearly crazy, and you know something's gonna go wrong. And I I honestly I'd forgotten about the the twist of like he's a jesus guy yeah um, uh specifically he's catholic because yeah. he's just going crazy because like this isn't the only crazy catholicism in this thing yeah right like let's not forget oh the other f-ing bad time that joe buck sucks at being a hustler right which is like where he goes to have dinner with that with that guy and then they go back to his hotel room and that guy starts talking to his mother yeah. and then he's like i gotta go and then like he gives him the saint of Saint. He gives him his medal of Saint Christopher because he's going to travel. Because he need, he just figured he could 
you know, get a couple extra bucks before they get on the road to Miami. Yeah. And then, like, he ends up punching that guy in the face. And then the most f***ing Catholic thing of all time is a guy gets punched in the face because his, like, his, like, like because his hiring a gigolo goes south and yep. he and he thanks him he thanks he, him he thanks him for get punching him in the face he's just sitting there with just blood all over everything just, thank, thank you thank you yeah. Like, um yeah that that was a wild scene and that even then like to to the point of how nothing goes quite the way that it's meant to like yeah. He he's finally he's come around to the point of like he will use violence on somebody he will inflict more pain and tragedy on somebody and then he does it to a guy that ends up thanking him for yeah. it which is a, a whole other level of sad like it's it's bizarre yeah. this is this is a this movie's really good I know yeah you gonna let go of that table now you gonna let go of that table you wanna bust its skull <laughs> You got any things yeah, you didn't some, know? I got some torfs for you. you. I got some true or falses. Dan's dance taking some time off, but we we will we will continue to torf. I, yeah, we will continue to torf. All right, so the, I got the segment formerly known as things you didn't know. Yeah, I got three for you. Okay, all right, ready? Because of his willing to work for SAG minimum and his previous experience on Gunsmoke, John Voight was the only actor considered for Je for Joe Buck. Oh, because he was cheap. Cheap, uh, cheap, and look good in a cowboy, and yeah. look good on camera in a cowboy uniform. Um, oh man, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go true. False. Yeah. The role was originally offered to Michael Cesarin, who didn't take it because his management wanted a hundred grand for the role, despite his verbal agreement to do it for seventeen, and his acting schedule actually prohibit. Like they would have had to push back the shoot. Ah, so too he, expensive. Had yeah. had to push it. He fell out of it. Okay. No, I see. I see how you're approaching these torfs now, though. Yeah. Like, I'm actually trying to write them in you a gotta, way. You got to write some specificity in there yeah. to make. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, Dustin Hoffman was nervous that he wouldn't get the role based on like his clean cut image from the graduate. So he decided to, when he went to meet Schlesinger, he was like, meet me at this auto mat in midtown, like late at night. And, <laughs> and like, so like Rizzo just kind of like emerged from like, you know, like the griminess of yeah. the, of the actual environment. And that's how he got the role. False. That's actually true. Ah, see, now I'm out thinking myself. Yeah, now you are. That felt true. It, it was it true. It felt true because of the Marathon Man story. Yeah. With him and, him and uh, uh, what's his name, Lawrence Olivier. Yeah. The, the have you tried acting, my yeah. boy. Like, exactly. Yeah. So, like, that's him, like, being Methodist. That fun. one felt true, and then I outthought myself. All, All right. right, I'm over 2. All right, finally. Thanks to really positive test screenings, UA knew they had a hit on their hand and decided not to rock the boat with bad press and went with the X rating. False. That is correct. That is correct. I am. I you am are, true in you, saying that's false. You are correct. Yeah. It is false. It was a self-inflicted X rating. It was a self-inflicted yeah. X rating. But according to a uh, interview Dustin Hoffman did with Entertainment Weekly, he said when we started having screenings, people would get up and leave. They were so offended. So they were real nervous that they yeah. had a bomb, and it turned out to be a Best Picture winner that made a ton of money because yep. everybody went to see it. And we're still talking about it. Terrific shirt. Are you speaking to me? Well, I was just admiring that colossal shirt. I mean, that is one hell of a shirt. I bet you paid a pretty price for it, am I right? Oh, I ain't cheap. Yeah, birds. I mean, I say it's all right shirt. I like birds. Who's your MVP of the movie? I want to, I want to say Slashinger. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, 
maybe John Voight because like this is clearly the best John Voight has ever been. But like Schlesinger, like would this movie exist if like Schlesinger didn't put it through? And like from a directing standpoint, like all two incredible performances, like such great cinematography. They had no money. So like think about all these amazing shots that we've been talking about in this movie. And it's not like they can meticulously set them up. They had to go out into the streets of New York City and literally steal them. Yep. And then on top of all of that, like this such great music, like the song, right? Like it all just ties together in this complete package that is fundamentally a whole that is greater than the sum of its parts. Like yep. Dustin Hoffman is going to have literally dozens of more iconic performances. Right. Uh, you know, John Voight did incredible here, but like this is the best he's ever going to be. Yep. It's not like, so is that because Schlesinger, Schlesinger had such got all of John Voight, Voight out of John yeah. Voight? That's who, and like, I mean, he got the statue for it. So yep. like, that's who I think won it. I, uh, you know, I don't know what their working dynamic was. I, ca I can't really argue with any of that, but I, I'm, I got to give it to Hugh A. Robinson, the editor. Yeah. Okay. I just like he, and he's an interesting, interesting guy because he didn't work. He, he cut Shaft a few years after this. Oh, fascinating. Um, he's a, um, his, uh, in fact, the first African American guy to be nominated for uh, best editing. Oh, wow. Um, but he cut Shaft a few years after this, and then he went into directing. And so most of his IMDb is like directing uh, TV okay. a lot. So he didn't do much more, which I've, I always find fascinating. He's just this guy that did one thing, one bit of incredible work, yeah. uh, and then didn't do a ton else. Like, I'm sure the work is, is good and it's solid or whatever, but nothing that's as, as you know iconic as this movie. But I can't. I can, in good conscience, give the MVP to anybody else after the whole conversation about, like, I think it's better than the script. I yeah, think the editing I, is better than the script. I agree. Which is such a strange, I don't think I've ever said that about a movie specifically, but, yeah. like, I think the editing, again, like, the script is good because of what it leaves out. Yeah. And the editing is incredible because of the gaps in the script that it fills. Yeah, of right? what it puts in. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, so I got to give it to the editor. All right, let's get Q.A. Robinson, ladies and gentlemen, the MVP. Um, amazing. Deservedly so. Yep. She's hooked. Like why a cowboy? I'd say she was good for 10 bucks, but I'll ask for 20. Why a cowboy whore? Did you know we were going to make it? Is this rebootable? I think not. No. Yeah. I mean, you know, I guess I like... Hollywood so is that culturally movies, bankrupt right now. Movies in the late '60s were so very of their time, you know. Like tell I, that I to the guys who are making the new Easy Rider. I we I'm sure we will at some point, given given the chance to talk to those guys. Yeah, if we ever got the chance to talk to the people who the are people making that are Easy Rider, isn't that right, Jamie? Yeah. Um, that is an inside joke that's yeah. staying in the edit. Um, but the uh, I I don't want it yeah. to be remade. I don't either. I mean, I think you absolutely could, and you could set it in. Maybe you set it in a slightly different time period. Maybe you set it in the earlier. I don't think you can do it and set it present day. Yep. Um, no. Maybe you could do it in like uh, the, the tenement buildings that they were living in are. Oh man, millions of dollars. Yeah. Millions of dollars now. Yeah. <laughs> that um, New York is long dead. That New York <laughs> is gone. Yeah. Like maybe the uh, what's the HBO series in the eighties? The about Deuce. The Deuce. Like you yeah. could probably set it in that time. Yeah. Well, but not much after that. Yeah. The Deuce is all about that. 
that area's transition yeah. from the Midnight Cowboys time once, to like the modern one. Once Disney moves into Times Square, you can't make this movie again. Since we can agree that this movie is not rebootable, right? Let's uh, let's quickly get in the Nick Cageification of this. I I'm gonna just go crazy with my recommendation, and because a I think it's absurd that this movie would ever be remade. So if we are going to remake it. I want to remake it under the most absurd premises possible. <laughs> so I want to. I want to have Nicolas Cage play both roles, Rizzo and Joe Buck. Got it. And what I want is a modern. You don't have to. You don't have to figure that. Like uh, like I'm going to stop yeah. you. Like I, I want a modern. I want modern, <laughs> older Nicolas Cage, a more old, older season Nicolas Cage to play the Rizzo, uh-huh. and I need him to be de-aged to late. 80s Nick Cage like we're talking like uh, Valley Girl yeah like um, late 80s Nick Cage like Moonstruck Nick Cage Mm -hmm. to play the young Joe Buck does it work no no but it was never going to work but yeah this thing's not going to work to begin with if we're going to remake it we might as well remake it with two Nick Cages yeah yeah, this is my favorite bit so I'm going to I'm going to come correct every time I think the only uh, the the less extreme version of that I think uh, what was the guy's name O'Daniels yeah I think you make him him yeah, like that would be a wonderful little Nick Cage cameo because when you do remake um, Midnight Cowboy, it's going to be an HBO series, and there's going to be a whole episode that Nicolas Cage gets nominated for a, a, an Emmy for outstanding guest star on a limited run, whatever. Beef up that role a little bit for that one episode, and put Nick Cage as the uh, the crazy. Uh, you know what? That, I like that. that. First I, I think you're right. I think him just one's like. In the TV miniseries that is Midnight Cowboy as the O'Daniel character, mm-hmm. I'll take that. Yep. Right. I think that's I think that's the only way it gets better with Nicolas Cage. Yeah, I agree. Okay, good. Uh, well, I'm glad we settled that so quickly. So, let's find out where this went. Where did you have it on your list? Because I, I didn't have it on mine. I, I think I'm the only one that actually the only had, one it. That had it. We're, we're talking about this. The providence of the reason that we're talking about this excellent film today is yes. because it was number 95 on my list. Just snuck onto your list. Just snuck okay. onto it. Wasn't on mine. I I could. I think it, we we can assume it wasn't on Alex's or Dan's. I don't think so. It, uh, Dan's it, not. If even it was on any here. two of our lists, there was a good chance it would have made the top one hundred. I think so. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess yeah. I have no idea uh, how the algorithm works. But let's see where it ranks. Midnight Cowboys number two hundred and sixty-two. So on our list, it's the two hundred and sixty-second best movie of all time, according to you, me, Dan, and Alex. Yeah, on the strength of you ranking it ninety-five, you know what? It gets to be two sixty-two. Uh, we we did like an hour and ten on this. I honestly at least. And let me put it to you this way: Do you regret not putting it on your list? Um, yes and no. I I, I regret is too strong a word. I could for sure. If I'm relisting my whole hundred, li- I could think of a couple that I put on my list that I'd swap Midnight Cowboy. If we watch this, sure. if we watch this movie like six months ago before we did the yep. list, would it have made? If the it cut? were, if it were fresher in my mind, probably. Yeah. 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 Right. I think I, you know, as we get further into this whole process, we're going to run into some movies on my list that I'm like, did I just feel like I had to put that on my list? I don't really like this movie that much, you know. Like, I, there's some of those. Yeah. That, you know. Midnight Cowboy could have for sure taken Take a spot. Yeah. At which case, it would if it would have been both of our lists, it would have been like, you know, maybe I, buck ninety something I, like that. I feel bad that it's ninety five on mine. Now I'm trying to think <laughs> Just about like what we talked about it for an hour and a half. Movies. Yeah, but I tell you what, that's going to do it yeah. uh, for this week. Thank you for joining us for the Cinefix, not 
top 100. Thank you, as always, to producer Tyler Yakin, to Marian Franzen, who's working, Jamie Parslow right there behind camera, specifically not Dan. Thanks to Alex for, uh, you know, how you get well. Get Rest well up. Soon. Can't wait to have yeah. you back on the next episode. Next week, we're talking about the fly. Ooh, sweet. The fly. It's, it's going to be another not, not top 100. 100. Yes. I can't, I'm looking forward to that. I just want to make sure that people know that this isn't just a YouTube video. And if you want to not watch us, make sure you uh, subscribe to Cinefix Top 100 Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Well, come back uh, next week. We're going to talk about the fly. Sweet. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.